While you're turning, I'm, I'm happy to uh, note that or say that I'm glad uh, yesterday's uh, Red River rivalry was at 11 a.m. Some of y'all, uh, I don't know how you would handle it if you were a later game. <laughs> no. and I was calm and collected throughout the game. Because <laughs> I knew what I needed to do today. And so, if you will, uh, Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed them, their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have here only two, five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to, toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. A miracle meal. Subject, a miracle meal. All four gospel writers include this incident in their gospel presentation of Jesus Christ. This miracle set forth the unique nature of our Lord. He did what no one else could do. He created food on the spot. He took a small boy's lunch and satisfied a massive hungry crowd. That was divine power on display. The miracle shows that Jesus is able to meet any need. There is nothing too difficult for him that is in accord with his holy will. We also see in connection with this miraculous meal uh, the healing power of Christ being showcased in his compassion toward sick people. And that is our first heading this morning in this sermon, Compassion. Verse 13, we began there. Both the compassion healings and the feeding of the crowd were preceded by our Lord's getting away from people. After he had heard about the murder of John the Baptist, he wanted to be in a secluded place, and he was, along with his disciples, whom had returned to him from a ministry tour. Both our Lord and the twelve needed rest. Our Lord had ministered and is draining the minister, and so he needed to come apart and take time to be alone and to rest. So did the disciples. They needed that too. The people <laughs> heard of his itineration and followed him on foot. It says in the bottom of verse 13, as we will see later, 
Some of these people were really not serious at all about spiritual things. Some of them, no doubt, were merely thrill-seekers. You're seeing this tremendous reality of people being healed, miracles work, being worked, and they wanted to go and see some more. In this uh, crowd also were those who had political ambitions. And many did not, in the crowd, want him as Savior and Lord. They only wanted the gifts that he could give. This is a mixed crowd. And in John's um, gospel, it says that many followed because of the signs that he performed on the sick, John 6, 2. What's interesting about this is that Jesus knew all about this. He knew why the crowd followed him. He knew what they were really thinking and why they wanted to be there, why they would follow him on foot. No one ever fooled Jesus. No one ever cover up uh, from him what was really motivating them. But what's fascinating about this, in verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. Though the people were of this mixed Nature and Jesus would know that because he knows all men, it says he felt compassion for them. Compassion for them. The Greek term translated here, felt compassion, comes from a term meaning to be moved in one's bowels, where the feelings of pain are felt. So the ancients considered them to be the seat of emotions. And what this is telling us about our Lord, as he looked out over this crowd and he saw the people who were sick and perhaps some of them got there in a very, very difficult manner, maybe the lame and whatever the case, he saw them and he was deeply moved by genuine concern for them. Deeply moved. He felt it. Deep compassion. He healed their sick. Our Lord's compassion extended beyond the physical healings, however. You can't see it here. We find it in Mark's gospel, but between verses 14 and 15, something else happened that Mark recorded. Jesus saw a more important need. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, tells us what that was. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when Jesus compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And this crowd, they were shepherdless. Sheep are defenseless. Easily do they get lost. They uh, can't clean themselves. They're not the smartest of God's created animals. They need guidance and they need help. So it is with people. They need a shepherd in spiritual matters. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And because he is the good shepherd, he expresses compassion toward them for their spiritual need. He wanted to lead them into the safety of the fold of salvation. So he taught them many things. 
the theme of Jesus' teaching, no doubt, was the kingdom of heaven, the realm of salvation. If Jesus is going to teach you anything, he is going to teach you how you can be right with God. He's going to teach you to repent from your sins and believe on him. He's going to teach you how to get into heaven. Jesus, that was the theme of his preaching. Now, physical healing is a great blessing. We all enjoy that. We all thank God for physical healing. But it's temporary. It does not touch or it does not affect the soul. Salvation, however, is forever. It's forever. Jesus' ability to heal them from physical ailments was evidence of his ability to give them the spiritual help they need. What is that? Salvation. He is displaying to them, I can heal you, but I can heal not only your body, I can heal your soul. Salvation is so profoundly important. For it is not just from the physical effects of sin, but from sin itself. Uh, you know, Christians need to be mindful of this. Uh, this is what I'm talking about. That it's not enough to merely alleviate people's physical need we must also teach them the truth about their spiritual need we must share with them uh, the gospel uh, we ought to meet their need we ought, we ought to give them what they need for life and sustenance yes that is good and that is right but we have not done our job as Christians if we just leave it at that a social gospel without the gospel is no gospel at all. Give them bread, yes. But also give them or tell them about the bread of life. Tell them about Jesus Christ. He is who they need. And Jesus' great interest was men's souls. That is their greatest need. And a text in Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says, he felt compassion for them because of their great need, that they needed a shepherd. They needed salvation. That's the highest level of compassion we can extend to any human being, letting them know about the grace of God in Christ. Feeling that deeply is very important as well. So he is compassionate. That's not all. In our text here in Matthew 14, the next heading is creation. Creation. And you'll see in verse 15 that the disciples were eminently logical in recognizing and prescribing a solution to the problem of the need of the massive throne. They'd been with Jesus all day. He had been teaching them and it's, they need to eat. And so they, they outline the problem. They're, they're really good at this. You notice in verse 15, they say, number one, this place is desolate. What they mean by that is, it's many miles from the nearest city. So here they are laying it out to the Lord. <laughs> the problem. And the next thing is, and the hour is late. It's already between 3 and 6 p.m. So, Jesus, this is what we think you need to do. <laughs> so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. That's just eminently sensible, isn't it? 
that, that is so reasonable, that is so human. And now, remember, they're with Jesus. And they're saying, this is how you solve this problem, because after all, these people do need to eat. They've been here all this day, and they're hungry by now, and no doubt they were probably thinking they got kids too. But Jesus already anticipated the problem. John, in his uh, gospel, his parallel text, says in the fifth verse of John 6 that our Lord saw a large crowd coming. Remember, they ran him on foot, and they, they saw him, uh, he saw them coming, and he knew what was going to happen, and he's utterly in control of this whole matter. He says to his disciple, Philip, think about this. Now, they're coming. And they hadn't been there all day to hear him teach. And Jesus says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these may eat it? Isn't that fascinating? Jesus already had in mind this whole matter, and he's putting it in Philip's mind. Philip, here, look at them. Here they come. How are we going to feed them? So think about this. This whole this question that Jesus had just put in Philip's mind hung in his thinking while Jesus was teaching. He had to think about that. Yes, Jesus said, how are we going to feed these people? It's a massive crowd. And no doubt he was mulling it over and wondering, how are we going to feed this, this multitude? Text. And Matthew, it's, I, I think, is remarkable as these men had laid out the problem. Um, they had seen Jesus supernaturally heal sick people. Think about that. They've seen his power on display. No one who came for, to him to be healed is turned away. The text here doesn't tell us how he did. Maybe he spoke, maybe he just touched them. Whatever he did, he healed everybody. A display of his power. You would think, Jesus, you've been healing all day. You healed and you talked. We have a problem with feeding. Why don't you fix that? But they thought in human terms alone. So they presented the problem and their solution. In verse 16, Jesus counters. He says, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. I would have been bum-fuzzled. I said, what? What's interesting there, the English translation of the New American Standard Bible from which I'm speaking punctuates the sentence with the, an exclamation point. You see it there, the end of the verse? The reason they do that is because in the Greek text, it, the pronoun you is emphatic. Jesus said, you, you feed them. You give them to eat. Fascinating. Why on earth did Jesus do that? Jesus' words to them were intended to test their level of faith. Now, it's not for his knowledge, for he knows everything that's in us. 
John 2, 25, that's clear. But what our Lord wanted them to understand is this, by emphatically telling them to feed the massive crowd, he was forcing them to acknowledge that they had no human solution to the problem. None. As with the question to Philip in John 6, John writes that Jesus knew what he intended to do all along. He would show them that he is the solution to the humanly impossible. What can't be done by us is not a problem for him. Therefore, the miracle of the feeding was also intended to train the disciples. It was intended to train them to trust him. He intended to strengthen their faith. He wanted them to look to him when they faced in their life, in their ministry, problems that were beyond human solution. Look to me. It's the whole point. In the Christian life, what God is doing in the trials and the tests that come, he is intending to strengthen our faith. That's the point. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 tells us that's why he brings them, that's why he sends them. Do understand that God is not done with you until he gets you to heaven, but he wants to build your faith as you're on your way, right? That's what he's doing to these disciples. Look to me, I'm the answer. So living and Christian living and Christian ministry we require trust in the Lord. You've you got to trust Him. Bottom line, you've got to trust Him. We walk by what? Faith. Yes, yes. Not by sight. And what they're going to learn here is they're going to learn more about Him. They're going to learn, wow, Jesus can fix anything. In verse 17, sometime I'm, I'm even being recorded. <laughs> That's all right, brother. <laughs> and um, you'll notice in verse 17, they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. That's their response to Jesus' command. You feed them. He said, hey, wait, wait. What we have here is insufficient. You, you see what Jesus, do, do understand. We can calculate. We count. We learn. We went to grammar school, and we understand there are five loaves and two fish, and we see this massive crowd, and that is certainly not enough. Again, underscore this, there's no supernatural thinking going on here. They're thinking solely in the natural Jesus is in control of this whole matter and he says in verse 18 bring them here to me and they did and they were clueless as to what our Lord was going to do I'm going to tell you right now they did not see a miracle coming but here's the thing to their credit they did get this get this understand this they were obedient they did what Jesus told them to do. 
so it is to be with us. We do not need to know why the Lord commands us to do something that he lays out in Scripture. Our response is simply to obey. We ought to have in our thinking regarding the Word of God and the commands in Scripture, the motto uh, from Nike, just do it. Christians have long said simply this, trust and obey. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to know. Trust and obey, and they did. And then he ordered the people to sit down on the graph. Now, in Mark's gospel, um, he furnishes additional information about this incident uh, to help us see what's going on. And he said in Mark 6, 39, he commanded them all to sit down by groups on green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. The reason for this ordering and was to organize them in the, the units that we just read there. It wasn't just a, a large crowd there chaos, in chaos. No, Jesus said, put these people in order. And that would facilitate the distribution of the food. Now, you know the disciples had no idea. Why are we doing this? We got 50 here, got 100 there, another 50 there. Well, all these people, this massive crowd, we, now we got them all sitting down on the green grass and they're organizing. We don't know why Jesus did but they just simply obeyed. And it made the crowd easier to count, too, by the way. One, how do they know 5,000 men? Well, it's groups of 50, groups of 100, it's easy to count. So they did. Then in our text, after they were seated, no doubt pathways between the groups of 50s and groups of 100s, the disciples get between them all. And once that was accomplished in verse 19 of Matthew 14, Jesus prayed. It says he blessed the food. What that means is he gave thanks to God the Father for the provision of the food. He thanked his heavenly Father. Jesus didn't ask the Father to multiply the bread. He just gave, gave thanks for it. And you'll notice he began breaking the bread, the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. Um, this was a miracle. And we're not surprised by this miracle. We who know Jesus, we're not. Because in John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 3, it says this about Jesus. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's the creator. And since he created the universe with all the galaxies, all the stars, created our sun and our solar system, he just spoke it into existence. He was the father's agent in this, and so he could do all of that. You know, creating some food is not a big deal. And when I say a big deal, I mean, if you can do all of that, you can certainly do this. 
if you can hang the sun up there on nothing and this earth on nothing out in space and everything is orderly, if you can do that, well, what's making bread? Well, what's fascinating about this is uh, Matthew does not tell us how the miracle took place. It just simply, without any sensation, it just simply said, breaking the loaves he gave to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. How simple is that? He made no attempt to explain how the miracle took place. Jesus continuously created food and handed it to the disciples and they took it to the people. It's just this multiplication, just coming to Jesus, there's more bread and fish, more bread and fish, more bread and fish, more bread and fish. He just kept doing this. The power that's required to do that Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a fact. This really did happen. The writer of this gospel was present. Matthew wrote what he saw. John, who wrote the gospel of John, he wrote what he saw. Mark, who wasn't there, but he was a close associate of Peter, and so therefore what he wrote, Peter said, I saw. In fact, in Mark's gospel, it talks about green grass, eyewitness. Peter's remember the green grass, probably springtime. Eyewitnesses remember stuff like that. Andrew was there, James, the son of Zebedee, was there, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, they were all there. They all witnessed this tremendous miracle. Not only did they see it, they participated in it. So they were distributing the food. Not only them, but those who were fed. They had to wonder, where in the world did all this come from? Only one source, the Creator. So we have 5,000 men, besides women and children, who are being fed, and, and they know this is no ordinary day of being eating or being fed. The creation of food directly from the Creator's hand was the best meal they ever had. You say, how do you know that? <laughs> I, I wasn't there, obviously. The food was not tainted by the corruption due to the fall. Our food, you know, you know our food is not like it could have been. I hate it when I get a grape and uh, it's already ruining. If you, you, you had, the earth is cursed. And so whatever we eat is not what it could have been. I've always thought about that. I said, what would it must have been like to have been in the garden before the sin and eaten fruit, fruit, a food? That was, out, well, not out of this world, but you know what I'm saying. But this food was untainted. And no kid sitting there would say, but Mama, you know, uh, I love your cooking, but uh, I haven't had anything this good ever. <laughs> now, notice, 
something in verse 20. It was all they could eat. The little flat cakes, that's what they were, and pickled fish, Jesus kept creating. Untainted food. And those people kept on eating. And kept on eating. He kept on eating. And you notice what it says there. Satisfied. Chortazzo. In the original, chortazzo is used of animals who stayed at the feed trough until they wanted nothing more to eat. These folk got full. And they said, I don't want any more. I've had plenty. Thank you very much. And there are 12 baskets. Not just 12 baskets. 12 full baskets. That's the position of Jesus. Why 12? You don't think he's going to leave out his disciples, do you? They got to eat. And so he created enough food that they would have a full basket so they could eat. And no doubt they would share with him. Not 13. He didn't create 13 over just 12. And so it was incumbent upon them to share theirs with the Lord. Oh, I, I, I'm going to say this. It, it, to me, it's amazing that Jesus is meeting everybody's need and didn't actually meet his own directly. Talking about servant of servants? Mm. Another thing, more left over than when they started. Twelve full baskets to start off with uh, two fish and five loaves. Remarkable. Remarkable. Creative miracle by the creator of the universe. And to let us know again the size, in verse 21, they didn't count the women and children. That's okay. The reason I say that is because maybe uh, we can figure it out. Probably most of those men were married. And the married couples probably had more than 2.5 children. You know, that's how they measure nowadays. <laughs> the, the household husband, wife, and 2.5 children. <laughs> uh, they had probably had more than that. So what could possibly been the number is this, between 20 and 25,000 people. It's a lot of people. But what would be their response? Well, let's see. In John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. John chapter 6, verse 26. They were seeking Jesus. They followed him. Notice verse 26. Jesus answered them, John 6, 26, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. 
They got the bellies full. And they said, ah, we, (laughs) man, we got to follow him. They didn't understand the implication of the sign. That's why Jesus said a sign. The reality is that God was in their midst. They were so consumed, if you will, with the food that they didn't realize this is the creator. Who else could create food like this? Multiply bread until I'm full, my wife is full, and my kids are full, and we're saying, I don't need any more. Their materialism. He rebuked them for their materialism. Verse 27 of John 6, it says this, Jesus continues, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal or approval. The food that endures to eternal life is Jesus himself because he is the bread of life. Verses 35 and 54. He's the bread of life. That's the food you want. Not the food that perishes. You eat your biscuit today, your flat cake today, but that's gone. You need something that will endure forever. They were focusing, however, on the decaying outer man. You want the food that endures forever. That's eternal life. Eternal life is a relationship with God. It delivers from eternal judgment and it guarantees heaven. That's what you want. You know what the problem with these people was? They wanted the gift but not the giver. They want the blessing from God but they don't want God. They say, Jesus, we like what you've got going on here. Uh, but we'll, we want that from you but that's all we want. Some others were simply, I mentioned earlier in this sermon that um, They had political ambitions. They weren't interested in spiritual things. Uh, They had earthly things in mind. In John 6, 15, it says this, Perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. They wanted him to be king. They wanted to be in a better political position. And Jesus didn't come here for that did not come to this planet for that. Thank God. Amen. People always thinking thinking that Jesus had to tell Pilate in John 18 verse 36 my kingdom is not of this world. It didn't originate here. It will not be set up by men, by their conquest. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus has a kingdom, but it is not from here. It is from heaven, and when it's time for him to reign on this planet, it will come from the power of Christ when he returns. That's his kingdom. And nobody will fight against him and succeed because he's just going to speak and they'll be done.
So what do you think? A massive miracle like this. People should think, uh, you know, God's in our, our midst. Jesus preached the bread of life sermon, and he said, I give my flesh for the world. He that eats of me will not die. That is, appropriate by faith. Me, If you take me and you'll live forever, you'll have eternal life. You would think after that display and then uh, the teaching about that he is the bread of life. He's the one that gives eternal sustenance. They said, yes, that's what I've been looking for. No. No. Disciples turned away from him. The next day, the very next day, verse 66 of John 6, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Fake disciples. You see, they wanted what he could give them for their body for their temporal life uh, but they didn't want a savior they went along for a while but when the push came to shove as to I need to submit myself to him as, as lord he's lord they said no, no thanks you see Jesus refused to be the permanent source of free meals but he was willing to be an eternal source of eternal sustenance. Sadly, most were not interested in that. That's why the very next day they no longer walked with him. If you can't give me a free meal every day, Jesus, if you don't make me prosperous, Jesus, if I can't have health like I want Jesus I can't have a plush car Jesus I can't have luxuries Jesus if I can't cross my bank account balloons I can't have that Jesus well no thank you and Jesus said I'm not offering that I'm not offering that at all true disciples want Jesus for who he is not what they can get in terms of material things Simon Peter answered, after Jesus said, uh, you don't want to go away too, do you? Jesus knew already, he knew. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. True believers understand that. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. True disciples. A miracle meal from the creator it shows he can give eternal sustenance to those who will come to him by faith let us pray together our father and our God we thank you for the word of God this morning and we thank you that we've had the privilege of uh, hearing afresh your truths seeing them afresh being reminded of your greatness greatness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who redeems all who will trust in him alone.
thank you for the reality that it demonstrates. And thank you that we can, um, as believers, learn to trust you because of the testings that come. We see your power on display and grow in our faith. Thank you for that. We conclude this um, prayer with gratitude to you for your work in us. We ask that you save those who need to come to faith. Be true disciples. We ask in the name of Christ.